Good morning, good morning, good morning. The sun is shining, the birds are chirping, and you are breathing. Today is Friday, February the 19th, 2021. My name is Stephen Cornegay, and welcome to This Is Just a Thought. Today's word of the day, emote, which means to give expression, especially in acting, emotion in a dramatic way. Well, I hope everyone is enjoying their Friday so far, and I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. Uh, Weather is kind of looking up here in North Carolina, like we're going to get a little warmth after a few days of rain and in some parts of the state sleet and freezing rain, but not in comparison to Texas and the Battle of the Ice. They're experiencing massive amount of power outages, busted pipes, just destroying homes. People are living in hotels. Some people are even living in their vehicles. People have died during these freezing temps and they're experiencing a good amount of carbon monoxide poisoning too. Like I said, some people are living in their cars in a one one incident, a uh, family, if you will, uh, I believe, they were in the car in the garage with the car running, trying to stay warm. And of course, you know how that works. A vehicle in a closed space. Uh, they had a couple die from carbon monoxide poisoning. Mm. Just asking everyone, pray. For the state of Texas. They haven't seen anything like this in 30 years. And also another thing here in North Carolina. Surprisingly we had a tornado near the coast. That killed three. And injured ten. Tornado struck around 12 in the morning. There was really no time for people to get to safety. It just sprung up from out of nowhere. Unstable air mass. We are having a. Wicked winter. But back to Texas. It appears Senator Ted Cruz finds himself in the hot seat, took a vacay during his state's worst, possibly worst weather disaster in 30 years. Like I said, took a family vacay to Mexico. Well, Guess everyone's entitled to their vacation, especially with your family, but I don't think that was a good time or, or that was a good decision. Not doing this. They are in, in deep, deep, deep trouble in Texas. And their lovely senator decided to take a vacation to Mexico. I guess he wanted to warm up. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. That was a low blow. That was a low blow. But I believe he said that the, <clears throat> the vacation had been planned. It was a family vacation with his wife and kids, of course. You have to make better decisions. That, that I don't think that was the time to do that. I'm sure most people would, would agree. And I'm sure by now he agrees. 
because he got blasted. Hell, they even followed him to the airport, to and from. Followed him out, followed him back in. Not a good move, not a good move. Well, uh, I'm sure everyone has heard of the uh, passing of Rush Limbaugh. Possibly, or they're saying the best conservative talk radio host or radio host and possibly go down in, in, in the history books as the best ever to do it. Passed this week of uh, lung cancer. He had been battling for a while. And I guess during President Trump's uh, one one State of the Union address, he awarded him the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor. And that sparked an outrage. In fact, so, now President Joe Biden even suggested that he would take it back. I guess, I don't, well, he probably could, but come on now, that's just a little, that's being a little petty. Now, I'll be the first to admit Rush Limbaugh was, uh, he was that guy, if you will. He was a little harsh, a little crass. But no matter what, a lot of the things he said made sense and were true, but it was just the way he said it. I can remember being in, introduced to Rush Limbaugh by an uncle. And when he told me, he said, uh, well, we were, we were doing work. At this time, I was doing... Um, renovations to to dilapidated houses and apartments or what have you you know the crew that goes and rips everything out and puts it back in one day we were listening to music like we always do and he said i'm tired of this music i'm gonna listen to rush limbaugh and i said you of all people you listen to rush limbaugh he said yes why wouldn't i you can learn a lot from those that you wouldn't think you could learn from. And as time went on, I, I too listened, of course. And I learned that there was nothing wrong with what he said. It was may have been more of how he said it. You know, like I say, there's a time and a place for everything. Or like we've been told as kids growing up, there's a time and a place for everything. You have to watch what you say and, and, and how you say it. And he was that journalist. Whatever he, he thought or whatever he felt, he said it. Uh, like I said, I, I just think that, you know, I was on social media <laughs> and I was looking at the comments after he passed and I was just like, wow, they're really giving it to him. Didn't even care that he had passed. Uh, a few people even quoted um, Mark Twain, and I'm paraphrasing here. It was something to the extent of, I believe he said he had, he had read many obituaries or something about him having, he knew people that had died and he never took pleasure in them dying, but he enjoyed reading their obituaries. I said, wow. And that was the quote of the day because everybody, a, a large amount of people were putting that quote in under their comments. And I thought to myself, said, man, I'm wondering 
How many of you have even read Mark Twain? Where did you find that quote of all things relating to Mark Twain? I won't get into that debate, you know. <laughs> like I said, I just wondered how many people have even, even read Mark Twain. Close to none. They just found the quote that everybody else was saying and they decided to tag along. Well, to each his own. And despite what many have said about Rush Limbaugh, and, and I will give them credit, he he did have a mouth on him, but you could learn a lot from him. As I said, there was there was nothing wrong with what he said. It was how he said it. Because a lot of things he said, they were truthful, and we did come to find out he was telling the truth. And that goes for both Democrat and Republican white and black he just gave it to you and he just gave it to you raw okay let's move on let's move along here um, an end to for profit detention centers now that was President Biden's Campaign promise as it dealt with dealing with illegal immigration. One of the things he, he felt strongly about in dealing with illegal immigration. He wanted to get rid of the detention centers that are privately on, owned and ran. And it was for profit. But for profit from where was the profit coming from? Of course, the federal government. And in different states that they're located in, they, they were paid to uh, house these 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 human beings, I'm not going to call them immigrants, they were paid to house these immigrants, even though some of them, uh, most of them, all of them were here illegally, they are still human beings. Now, these detention centers are where children and families who uh, enter the U.S. illegally, illegally, and they're held there. Now, they're largely owned and, like I said, operated by private companies. Now, these companies operate a bulk of the nation's more than 200 existing immigration detention centers. Now, it's also estimated that 81% of the immigrants who are held in these detention centers are, of course, held at privately run facilities. And this is according to the Detention Watch Network, which is a group trying to abolish immigration detention centers in the U.S., now, President Biden, during his first week, stated that, and on the campaign trail, he wanted to eliminate these detention centers, but this may be uh, hard. It's a hard task right now, especially during a pandemic. In fact, Biden, when he issued this order to start the demise of detention centers, he ordered the Department of Justice not to renew the contracts with private prison companies, but he did not include the Homeland, Homeland Security Department, which oversees these detention oversees these detention centers. Whoa boy, and here lies the problem. Now, immigration advocacy groups and administration allies are surprised and frustrated over the lack of action. In fact, they say that these detention centers are dangerous. 
and they're nothing more than prisons. Well, I have to say, I, 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 I knew that that promise of getting rid of detention centers and renewing the, the, the you know, making these uh, human beings that came here and le- illegally make them citizens. I knew it was going to be a hard task, but I didn't see that he would make that big of a mistake. How did you not know that it is essentially ran by the Department of Homeland Security? And they're really overseeing everything. Department of Justice is just a, I, I don't know what how they play into it. In fact, he went to the Department of Justice. Now he's saying that he went to the Department of Justice and told them, hey, do you need to give me updates? And I can assure you, they said, uh, we're really not, not in charge of the, this. That goes to the Department of Homeland Security, not us, Mr. President finds himself in an awkward spot. Can't make good on that campaign promise. Now, I'm not one to uh, be all into politics and, and the ins and outs of it. But man, how could you miss this one? And now you got Possibly the people are stuck. I mean, there's a pandemic going on. Now, one advocacy advocacy group wants to, uh, of course, do away with detention centers. And they say, hey, let them go stay with their family members that are here in the U.S. I'm not too sure about that one. I mean, sounds warm and cozy and for kicks and giggles. But. If you're here illegally and you're just allowed to roam freely and they give you a court date, what are the chances you're going to show up for that court date? I mean, really, because you you're, you have to think in your mind that they're possibly going to send me back. So, yeah, you may run. Like they say, they're on the run from the the police or they've absconded from law enforcement officials. So I I don't know about that thing of of letting them um, return to the family members that are here in the United States. I I, I just don't know about that. And, you know, like I alluded, alluded to earlier, these detention centers, they are, for the most part, I mean, I guess from what we've seen on the TV, but we can't trust What's seen on the TV, but one one advocacy group came out and said they are just prisons. That's all they are. And when you see them on the TV, they are in cages. Looks pretty sad. So I'm wondering what the president is going to do. I mean, how is he going to handle this? Does he have a plan? Or can he develop a plan at this point? And another thing. When did these detention centers pop up? It was during the Obama administration. Donald Trump didn't start them. I'm sure I'm not sure if you guys remember the debate between Donald Trump. I believe it was the last debate actually between Donald Trump and 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 uh, Joe Biden, and and they got well. They were always getting into it. But one of the questions he asked Joe, 
I mean, President Biden, I'm sorry, I shouldn't call him Joe. That's very disrespectful. But one of the questions that was asked by then President Trump was, who built the detention centers, Joe? I don't think Joe, uh, but President Biden ever answered. It was during the Obama years. That's when there, there became an influx of illegal immigrants coming across the border. And like I said earlier, that this is a hard task because we're in the middle of a pandemic. You can't, you can't effectively vaccinate your own citizens. You just got to the point where you can give the actual COVID test. But to think that you would just release people that have they been tested? Probably not. I mean, it took this. It took them a while to start vaccinating the uh, the prisoners that are, excuse me, that are in regular jail, if I can say that. So you haven't tested many people, or if any, for COVID. You don't have enough vaccine for your own citizens. So I, I can't see releasing them to their family members. That that's just that that's not a good decision, especially during a pandemic. This thing has a lot of people hands tied, and this is one of those instances where hands are tied. They are. Can't release can't release them. I'm sorry. And you can't make enough vaccine, like I said. You, you just started getting enough COVID testing done. And the metrics, the, the metrics, as they say, are starting to drop. They're starting to drop because everybody is not going over family and friends' house like they were during the uh, holiday season. So you, you're starting to, to, to get a little foothold. And now this arises because of a campaign promise you made. And because during your first week, you made the order and you kind of didn't really, uh, somebody didn't research this proposal fully because this should, that should have been caught. That is ran by the, the Homeland Security, not the Department of Justice. But hey, my heart goes out. But my mind is wide open because I can't see releasing people now during a pandemic. Just doesn't make good sense. It's not good for business. And I'm not being uh, making a pun or anything about it. It is a very serious issue. But you have to use common sense during this. We don't need the numbers to go back up. We don't need people that, that that we really and truly don't know who they are. Because at one point in time, they were saying in these detention centers, they couldn't identify people. A simple task. They couldn't identify. I, I guess a lot of them didn't come with ID or identification or, or some form of paperwork to identify who they were. I mean, as harsh as it is for for these for people to be locked up like this, it's not. It just doesn't make common sense to release them, and you don't know who they are, where they're going, or where they're going to end up. And you give them a court date, and they don't show up. So then you have another matter on your hand, and you're running around like Keystone cops, looking foolish. 
So yeah, that that that's not a good idea. I do apologize. I'm, I, I just can't understand the logic in releasing them. Just because you don't want them to hold them, don't want to hold them in these detention centers that you say are really prisons. I get that, but to release them, and you don't have a, a, a an adequate system of of tracing where they are, or where to find them, because that part of the, the, the cycle is still broken. Has always been broken. Has always been broken. That's a, that's one of the problems. Can't find folks when you go looking for them. Well, like I said, I, 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 my heart goes out. But the idea of just releasing them, I'm sorry, that's just not, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't fly with me. Now let's move along to, um, I told you guys early in the week that I would be um, reporting back to you on the Durham County school, school Board's decision for the reopening of schools. And they had their meeting last night, which was Thursday. And by a 5-2 to two vote, it was approved to go back to in-person learning. Of course, limited with your social distancing, PPEs, and uh, what was it, two days on, one day to clean and sanitize, and then two days back in school, so four days, that's for elementary, I believe the high schoolers and some middle schoolers, or, or high schoolers, they were saying five days. Now, I listened to everyone's point. And I, and I listened objectively. I, I, I didn't go in with the idea. Well, it was by Zoom. I didn't go into it with the, my own personal feelings involved. I said, I just want to hear what they have to say. What's their reasoning? And I'll get to their reasoning in a moment. Oh, yes, I will get to their reasoning in a moment. And it is foolish. But now, I, like I said, I listened to everybody's uh, opinion on the school board as to why they should or why they shouldn't open. And for a long time, it seemed as though they were pretty much bent on not going back to school. I mean, the way they explain it, that, that there are problems that they were ha having. I mean, some of the problems were, of course, the vaccine for the teachers and another thing that came up with the CDC guidelines, you know, they, they say the social distancing, the face mask, the washing of hands. And they also put out that they wanted another part of that, that CDC guidelines what they, was they wanted to improve the school's ventilation system. Apparently, they're part of improving the school ventilation system. There's a filter or something that seals to the point where it, or what have you, part of this ventilation system, it kicks out the bad air, pours it in, kicks it back out, releases it who knows where or, or what have you. And another thing that I found out, which is surprising, but really not if you think about it, they don't have enough school nurses. I guess all the nurses are, are, are in, on the front line. So that's a problem. Lack of vaccine, the ventilation, not enough school nurses for in-person in in learning. 
And another aspect of it is what they're relying on to proceed with this in-person in-person learning based off of the surveys that were sent out to the parents or guardians asking, would you prefer uh, a continuation of online learning or would you prefer in-person? And the numbers they apparently got, they said it was 50-50. So what they're relying on realistically is that 50% of the kids that are enrolled in Durham public schools will return and 50% will stay online. Now, I mean, that's fine. But like I said, the school board members, a lot of them were, and rightfully so, they're frustrated. They flat out said the bill is poorly constructed and rushed. Reason why? Their main argument was the ventilation system. Apparently some updates have been made, but maybe not enough to schools that haven't been updated. And also another thing I didn't think about was there's a program here, and I'm, I'm sure it's uh, all across the country also, where um, the high schoolers, they call them, uh, they, well, they're, they're, they're high school students, but they go and take courses or classes at college campuses here. There's two, there's a, a, techno, or a community college that they go to, and then there's a, a four-year university that they go to that's a historically black college, by the way, but they're called, uh, I believe they're called, what are they? Middle college. That's right. Middle college. Now what they're finding is here goes that ventilation again, that they're not sure a hundred percent, but they believe that a lot of these two institutions, if you will, here in Durham, because if you know the kids that, like I said, it's going on everywhere. These two institutions possibly haven't updated their ventilation system. Wow. Everybody's jumping on board with this return to school, but you're not handling the basics. You haven't handled the basics and, and the necessities. Yeah, you can, you can get your PPEs, you know, your, your mask and, and, gloves and hand sanitizers, but the ventilation system is still out of sweat. You haven't updated it or can't update it. Maybe you don't have the funds to update it. As I alluded to earlier in a previous podcast, with a lot of things, what I've learned in my, my years upon this earth, and I don't mean to get off track, but I, I got to say this. And Every, let's say every business, because right now they're treating it like a business. Every business has a budget. And just maybe, just maybe the budget has been blown. I mean, think about it. It has to have been blown. I mean, those Chromebooks that your kids have, I don't think they were donated. And if they were donated, I'm sure there has to be some money exchanged somewhere down the line. I mean, those things aren't cheap. Just buying them in the store, they're not cheap. Can you imagine buying them for however many thousand of kids that are here in a Durham County School District alone, not even going into the state numbers? So their budget is blown. Another thing that came up, I, there was another meeting um, by the school itself that my daughter attends on Tuesday night where they surprisingly just launched out with the EOGs. We got to get the kids back in school to take the EOGs. That's the end of grade test, a standardized test that tells you, you know, what 
your kid is proficient in or what they struggle in. And they get federal dollars for that also. Funding, budget, like I said, that budget has probably been, no, not probably, it has been shot. Think about it. A lot of the, they, the you know, they were running, like I said, with these Chromebooks and, and uh, there was a lot of systems that were in place. But yeah, they probably had to shell out some more monies to the, to these developers of these systems of online learning where they get their, their homework or classwork or schoolwork or what have you. They had to shell out some money for that also. I mean, just because there's a pandemic doesn't mean people are going to start, stop getting paid. Would be nice. So I'm guessing their budget has been shot. Which isn't surprising, like I said. Now, the argument was the bill is poorly constructed because they said it didn't meet all of the CDC guidelines. Well, that ventilation is that CDC guideline because it's most definitely in there. It's in there that the that that they want these schools to be reventilated, if you will. Another thing that came about was and the CDC says that uh, the vaccine, it does fight the new variants, possibly, of um, COVID. And I'm sure it does, or it may. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm sure it does. It may, but there's one key part that the school board caught on. I caught on. I'm sure many other parents said, you know, when they say that, hey, if you had the, the vaccination, it it, it helps uh, not only uh, thwart off COVID, but even the new variants that are out, the new strands. But you haven't vaccinated anyone yet. You just made it that, that they're eligible. But you also said that they have to stand in line once again behind the essential workers and the seniors. So you're pushing for them to go back to school and the two main components of your stance is vaccinations and ventilation systems and you can't get any of them right. So, hey, draw your own conclusions. I've drawn mine. Now, like I said, they're, they're, they're um, relying on 50% based off of the survey that they got, that 50% of the kids will, will be coming back and 50% will be staying online. Now, how does that work? Let me tell you how that works. And I found that just ridiculous. Now, for those that are in school, of that 50%, the teacher will start her day with them, giving them instructions, walking them through whatever, giving them assignments, teaching while the other 50% that is online, they'll already have instructions as, as to what they are to do via online instructions. Then after the teacher is finished with the in school, she'll turn over to the online and give them their help. Can you say stretch thin? I mean, they're already under a, a, enough pressure, tremendous pressure. So you want them to start the day in school, giving instructions and teaching. And then at a certain point in time, you want them to switch over to the online to give those kids the instruction and attention they need. 
Stretch thin. Stretch thin. Wow. Now, one school board member said that she she actually thinks the bill will be vetoed because of that vaccine and ventilation. And that's part of their saying that the bill is poorly constructed and it's being rushed, which it is. Now, in the event, let's just say, for sake of argument, the governor gets the bill. At one point, they said he might get it today, which is Friday. Haven't heard anything. They said, but he should get it no later than Monday. Let's say the governor looks at the bill and says, hold on, wait a minute. This isn't good. He does one of two things. Well, one of three things. Three things. He accepts the bill for what it is. And if he accepts the bill for what it is, then the district, school district, will have 10, 10 to 15 days to get things up and running and have the kids off the school. Or let's say he gets the bill, looks at it, and flat out vetoes it, says no. Or he gets the bill, third option, he gets the bill and he holds on to it. Well, if he decides to hold on to it 10 days after it's been put on his desk or in his hands, if he hasn't done anything within that 10-day span, it automatically becomes law. Wow. So once again, the school district has to come up or, or, or should have a plan to within that I guess 15 days after that send the kiddies back to school that's where they came up with the March 15th date for elementary school children and middle school and high school will return April 8th now this is let's just be honest it's, it's disheartening like I said, I see a numbers game. That's all it is. A numbers game for money. But what really irritated me, what really infuriated me, was the fact that three separate school board members said they wanted to go ahead and approve that the kids returning to school because they didn't want the state legislatures and Raleigh telling them what to do because pretty much of the stigma that Durham has of being late or being slow or they can't think for themselves. So, you, as a representative of the County of Durham School Board, is essentially saying to myself and other parents, that, yeah, there's a stigma about Durham. And I've heard the stigma. I grew up in Raleigh. And, and, and there's always been a stigma or a, a, a somewhat of a confrontation between Durham and Raleigh, the capital city, versus little old country hick Durham, which I never fully understood. But like I said, three separate school board members bought that up, that they didn't want the, the state legislatures in Raleigh telling them what to do with their kids. So, you don't want the state legislatures to tell you what to do with your kids, so you decide to, just like them, rush something through. You decided to rush to judgment and say, yeah, we don't have a, we have a problem with the ventilation system. Yeah, we haven't vaccinated all the teachers or any other teachers, but 
we're going to have something in place in case he signs this bill that says we're ready to go back to school. And you're not. You're just not. You don't have enough school nurses. Your ventilation system and majority of your schools by admission of your own, own, own members of the school board. And you haven't vaccinated anyone. Can't vaccinate anyone because there's a slow production. There's a slow delivery. And your teachers have to stand in line and wait to be vaccinated. But yet you came up with these magical dates of February 15th and April the 8th. All because you don't want to seem like you're slow. You don't want the state legislators to tell you what to do. Wow. Really? Like I said, when I was uh, uh, looking at the, the, the meeting, I thought it was going favorably towards, no, we're not doing it. So apparently what, what I saw, I didn't catch on to until the very end until they came out and, and, and held the vote, the vote, which I said like it passed five to two, was they were just laying out all the woes and troubles and problems they have. And they have to somehow, some way move forward. Understandable. They're in a, they're in a very tight and awkward spot as well. I guess. I mean, I think I finally figured out why the rush. <laughs> if you listen to some of my previous podcasts, when I talked about this, this return to school, I think now I have it all figured out. I just, I, I guess I just had to sit around and listen and, and, uh, hear it from the own horse's mouth, if you will. One, you want to return because y y your budget is shot. So your, your budget is shot and you're going to rush them through the EOGs and get that federal funding. Uh, that That's one. That's the obvious. And two, you just don't want it to appear that you can't do your job once again by the stigma that goes back and forth between Durham and Raleigh. Wow. So, those two are your, your catalysts for returning them to school despite all the, the obstacle, obstacles you face. And I'm wondering... Did you give any regards to the kids or the teachers? I mean, they're kids. And if you're fooling yourself, if you, uh, you, you honestly believe, and I understand the argument, there are de developmental delays. I, I have a problem also with my daughter, and I can tell that she needs to go back to school. But I don't want to push her out there too soon. And if I were to push her out there, I would love to think that you would have something in place to protect her. Right now, the only thing I can see is face mask, social distancing, and hand sanitizer. That's the only thing I can see. Like I say, you don't have the vaccine, you don't have enough school nurses. And the real ventilation system is, is questionable. 
Although you say you're you're actively working on it. Hope you have it fixed by the fifteenth. That's your that's your that's your live date, the fifteenth of March. And today is the nineteenth of February. Hmm. So about a month from now, a few weeks, you're gonna send them back to school. I understand your difficult position. I really do. But I can't co-sign with that. Not after you sat there and laid out to me all your woes and troubles and the obstacles you have to overcome. And yet, and still you as leaders say, we're going back to school. We're going to, we're going to forge on. We're going to march through it. We're going to battle through it with kids as the soldiers and your teachers and your teachers. The teachers and the kids are the soldiers. You're going to march through it. You're going to forge on and you're go- everything is going to be all right. Well, I don't know about you guys, but after I saw that, I was, I was, uh, I was sympathetic towards the school board and, and what they have to do and, and, and no matter what. But at the same time, I was disgusted of the politics of it all because that's all this is politics. And, and as I always said, politicians play that number. They play those numbers games. They play those numbers games better than anybody in in the game. I mean, they do. But also, as we know, all business entities have a budget. And this budget for Durham County, like I'm sure many other school districts across the nation, has been shot due to COVID. It really has. And and, and there's no way you can say, uh, uh, it ain't that bad. Yeah, it is. Think about it. Think about it now. Realistically. Yeah, it is that bad. That budget is probably gone. Like I said, those Chromebooks, uh, <laughs> even if they were donated and they weren't, I'm sure I'm I, somebody has to be paid. They didn't just create those Chromebooks just for this. COVID shook everything up, shook a lot of things up. There's more, I, I say there's more fallout from different uh, um venues or avenues that we haven't even discovered yet that we're going to see down the line sooner or later, probably more sooner, how COVID has disrupted every, has disrupted those, those things, those business entities also. I mean, we already, like I said, we already know about the bar industry, the the restaurant industry, the hotel industry. We already know about the hell, the medical industry too. And they're, inability to hire nurses because they can't pay them enough. Just like the school system found they didn't have enough nurses because a lot of those nurses probably said, hey, school's not in. I can go work at the hospital. And that's what they did. But you're finding you can't pull those nurses back because those nurses are now obligated. They're on the front lines whether it be in the, the emergency rooms, ICUs, or in the nursing home, they're on the front lines now. They're needed there. 
So if they're needed there on the front lines and you don't have enough school nurses, you're finding out you don't have enough school nurses also, you don't have the vaccine, your ventilation system, you're trying with all earnestness to get it fixed and working right, correctly. Why the hell are you sending those kids back to school and those teachers? Silly me, don't mind me. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just rambling. But like I always say, I may not have a, a degree in, in in political science. I may not be a mathematician. I may not be a sociologist or psychologist or a medical doctor or a nurse or what have you. But one thing that I do have is good old-fashioned common sense. And once again, something stinks. And it stinks to, well, it stinks. I won't say that. It stinks. It does. It just stinks. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. It's the numbers game. It's the federal funding game. And it's how I will look in my position. So like I said, they were saying the governor could possibly sign the bill today, Senate Bill, uh, what is it, Senate Bill 37, I believe, 35, 37, whatever the hell it is, whatever it is. He could sign it today or he can sign it no later than Monday. Or he could veto it. I mean, hey, maybe he'll have a heart and look and say, oh, wow, a lot of these schools. Don't. And I'm sure that's this isn't just happening here in Durham. What about the smaller school districts out in the rural communities? But a lot of those have opened. Some, a few of them have opened. Now you may say, well, we haven't heard anything about their numbers increasing. And how do you know that they're having... Uh, I'll leave it alone. I'll leave it alone. For the sake of argument, I'll leave it alone. Because as we all know, we know how bureaucracy works. We know how the funding is got. The funding is... The funding is, is got by proving that whatever system you have in place works. That's how you get your funding. You know, Wake County went back to school this week. Full steam ahead. I believe Johnson County did the same exact thing. Another, another county, which at one point in time, it could have probably been considered rural, but it's growing. It's growing population boom. You know, like I re reported previously, North Carolina is the ninth largest ninth largest state with population in the United States. One point in time, North Carolina wasn't even thought of. So how can you allow a state that is the ninth, we cracked the top 10, how can you allow these kids and teachers to go back to school without the pro proper safety protocol being in place? Numbers game. Money, 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 numbers, 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 numbers. Well, that's all for me today, but I'll be back, rest assured. And I want to thank you all for lending me your ears this morning. Continue to like, support, share. Offer feedback 
Anchor has a great feature where you can leave a voice response message. And I would love to hear your voice. I want bite. Not physically anyway. Verbally, I may. So offer your feedback. You can also make monetary contributions. Continue to follow and listen on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. This is Stephen Cornegay for This Is Just a Thought. Amen.